I'm Priscilla McKinney, host of Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. So I have Nicholas Holland on the show with me today. You hear me talk about HubSpot all the time. And today I have a GM, a VP of product from HubSpot. And so welcome to the show, Nicholas. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So you're what we call a HubSpotter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the question, the pressing question is, is there actually orange Kool-Aid over at HubSpot? There is. It's orange everything. In fact, uh, you go there and it's uh, orange walls, orange quotes, orange paraphernalia, mugs, orange wallpaper. And uh, from time to time, yes, there is orange Kool-Aid. You know, it's funny. Orange is my favorite color. And we're sitting in my podcast studio right now. And it is orange walls, I will say. Um, And that was, uh, I I planned that way before I became a a HubSpot (laughs) agency. Uh, And actually, part of my house inside, which I know may be very strange to people, is orange walls. So so I'm good with it. I'm down with it. But um, tell us a little bit about your story, uh, being a serial entrepreneur and, and getting your start, like, with all that that requires, what I re- what I call the stunning discomfort of entrepreneurship, <laughs> and oh, yeah. how that experience really, you know, maybe in your own way primed you for really understanding the need for HubSpot. Tell us about your journey into HubSpot, basically. Sure. So I'm 23 years old at the time, and I I really want to be in business for myself. I start a services firm originally doing IT work, but over time, uh, people were really hitting me up, asking a lot for uh, web design work. So this is 2003, 2004. And we start to get into the web design business. Everybody is, you know, talking about this new trend, digital, it's going to happen. And uh, and so I start to build an agency a little bit out of luck. Um, and it grows for many years. And we we really do in the early days, we're focused a lot on de- delivering digital experiences. And it was well before WordPress had kind of emerged as the king of the uh, CMS ecosystem. It was a long time before I think a lot of the marketers were truly well-versed in all of the, the, the digital marketing. In fact, if any of the listeners kind of can harken back to the days where brand agencies were really the most viable ones. So uh, I remember often uh, brand agencies would bring us in and we were often relegated to just the, the web designers. And uh, and the brand agency would spend, there was uh, no joke. I remember someone spent $25,000 on a logo and they spent $5,000 on their website. And wow. uh, it was like, uh, <laughs> it was just a stunning um, in the early days how <clears throat> that was just really harking back to the fact where marketing, the joke was 50% of my marketing work, I just didn't know which half. Mm-hmm. And uh, brand was a big part of that. So right. we did that. And over you know the course of 10 years, um, what really became clear was that digital was obviously the new paradigm. And uh, it was a world for us where we began to do more and more robust digital things. We began to incorporate lots of uh, different tools, lots of different mediums like ads, et cetera. But the uh, but the trick was really marketing automation wasn't something yet that was really uh, prevalent. There was still lots of debate on what was the best way to get new customers and new users. I remember um, first hearing about inbound, and this was at a time where blogging was still something that a lot of like individuals did. Companies weren't really huge on the blogging network there or being thought leadership. So. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine running an agency now without content and blogging. That's just how far we've come. (laughs) And and listen, I'll tell you what, 
I give a talk inside of HubSpot because, uh, and I don't know if any of your, your, your audience can relate to this, but I believe marketing didn't work. I still, uh, I give the talk inside of HubSpot where I remember I built a website for myself. I, I set up profiles on social media and no leads came in. And I remember thinking, well, marketing doesn't work for my type of business. So remember, this is, we're a website digital agency. And I'm still saying we're unique <laughs> snowflakes. Marketing doesn't work for us. And so we, we put all of our energy into sales. We bought lists. We crushed credit card. I mean, uh, not credit card, but business card. Bonanza, we called it, where we would take business cards at different events and then come back and put them on the list. I mean, we, we did every bad tactic <laughs> that you could think of. And I continually still said marketing didn't work. And I had, I remember one of the ways I could always tell later on in my career, if someone took marketing serious, is they'd have a VP of sales that makes $150,000 a year. And they would have a uh, director of marketing that makes $36,000 a year. <laughs> and you could instantly see where they, where they saw value and, and put that. So, uh, so after a while, um, I got kind of burned out on the agency space. Uh, I sold it to the employees and I started, um, a SaaS company that allowed you to build a single web page, uh, kind of not tied to the company web page, but you could build single web pages specifically for salespeople to do like pitches, product uh, pages, et cetera. Raised about a million and a half dollars and um, and really just almost killed myself to make this thing <laughs> successful and couldn't, couldn't get it to grow really fast. And, uh, and so I ended up saying, look, I, I can't get this going. I'm going to go ahead and sell this. And that was the first time HubSpot, um, I got onto their radar. We were out at a very famous, uh, incubator out in Silicon Valley called 500 startups. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the companies out there said, dude, I think HubSpot would love what you're doing. Put me in touch with the crew at HubSpot. And we began almost a three year dance, just talking <laughs> to each other, et cetera. And whenever I finally went to go sell the second company, uh, the first one was called Center Source. The second one was called Popular. Um, when I went to go sell it, they said, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll put an offer in to buy the team and bring you guys on board. And we weren't able to get that deal done. I ended up selling it to another company. But all the time that we had put in getting to know each other, about a year after I sold Popular, they said, hey, we've got a little innovation division. And we would love for you to come start to do innovation here at HubSpot. Are you interested? It was called HubSpot Labs. And I said, sure. You know, we're kind of at a time where I can't move from Nashville right now because my wife, uh, my better half, is taking over a really big role. And they said, you can travel. In fact, you'll have teams in Dublin and Ireland and then mm -hmm. And that's how I got to HubSpot. Yeah. And I did uh, collide with you there and um, one of our clients that onboarded there out of uh, out of Dublin. But you are now uh, overseeing. They've kind of changed it. It's not really the, the HubSpot uh, lab, but it, it, you're still in that MarTech space. So tell us about your day to day now working with the products, working with Marketing Hub. Well, three years, you know, there basically I, I got, I turned, uh, they had a product called Lead In. I turned that into HubSpot Marketing Free with um, some of the teams there. And then the content products, I kept saying like, man, these could be so much better. Obviously, my background was in content, uh, web and all that stuff at the time. And so uh, they said, well, you know, it's, there's an interesting rule here at HubSpot. If you complain about something, you get to take it over. <laughs> and and uh, so they said, you can take over content products. And 
that's where if any of the listeners, you know, who come to Partner Day or watch the the HubSpot journey, that's where I really said I think our CMS is an undervalued resource that we have. And so I said, let's turn that into a standalone CMS and really push into the mid-market SaaS. And after I did that and we started to see some really nice success there, they said, we're really looking for a new role, a, um, kind of a VP GM role to take over all of Marketing Hub to see the vision for that and to kind of make sure that we are you know, really doing right by our clients, but also being quite successful when we compete with others. So about a year ago, I did that. And my day-to-day consists of really everything in my world rolls up to two numbers. I have a revenue number, obviously, that's the business side, but because I'm in product and I oversee all of the product on the marketing hub, um, the other number that I look at is net promoter score. And so what happens is my day-to-day oscillates between, you know, what is the promise that we make to the market? What do we do in terms of the product to fulfill that promise? And what is really the... Uh, kind of friction points, whether it's competitor friction, whether it's, you know, we're not following through on the promise or it's innovation friction, meaning we're starting to fall behind in that area. What are those friction points? And that's what I work to remove. Yeah. And I think that the really key piece that you brought up the beginning as an owner, where you had the most friction, the most frustration, the most uh, challenge was in that, uh, in in translating marketing into sales. So let's talk about that because you're in a process of continual innovation at HubSpot and that is the pain that businesses are coming to. And I agree with you on the, you know, the ridiculousness of the, if you build it, they will come mentality that a lot of people are, you know, start businesses with. Um, but let, let, let's just say, let they take it a next step and say, okay, I'm interested in a marketing automation platform. And they take it even further. I'm interested in HubSpot. Where really is the next step that uh, the entrepreneur needs to take in order to bring that elusive sales and marketing number together? What, what What's going on in your mind in terms of how do you innovate around making sure that sales and marketing work together? You know, the... The concept that made HubSpot so famous was inbound, and that term is actually misunderstood by a lot of people, myself included, when I first got going there. Inbound was traditionally thought of as like a blog post with a CTA to a landing page with a form. Those are the mechanics that enabled people to do or very simply understand inbound. At a higher level, inbound was often synonymous with content marketing, and, uh, and that's still true. But the reality is, is that inbound at its uh, most fundamental nature is about what is the kind of basic economic formula of how much does it cost to acquire a customer versus what's the LTV. And that's, I don't want to make anybody's heads roll and eyes roll in the back of the head, but CAC to LTV. And the vast majority of companies, when they want to grow, they have no idea what their CAC is. And so they basically... They focus on activity. That's where salespeople come in. That's why basically a ton of companies invest in sales because they can at least see it in a very short period of time. Did you crush 20 phone calls today? How many meetings did you get, et cetera? So going back to the relationship between those two, traditionally in most companies, there's a, a wall between them still to this day. Uh, you take care of the website and make sure it doesn't embarrass me. And you do all the little cutesy marketing things you're supposed to do. And then I'll go out and actually close the business. 
but the that's a that's a pretty kind of primitive way of still looking at things. You see that a lot still with small businesses. The more enlightened way of looking at it, obviously, is when these two work together. Because essentially, if you go back to like CAC and LTV, if you interrupt and hassle people and close the deal, it's just a lot more expensive to try to get those customers. And they also aren't as sticky because you literally browbeat them into buying. And it's sustainable, but anybody listening on the phone, when you see yourself kind of cap out at five to 10 salespeople and you're wondering why you can't get over that hump, that's traditionally why. Hmm. On the flip side, when you go and you invest in uh, marketing, then you have a whole bunch of decisions to make on what's going to get you the lowest CAC, the lowest cost to acquire a customer, and the best LTV. You could go tomorrow, turn on Facebook ads or pay-per-click ads, and you'll start to get leads immediately. But in many industries, you'll be paying $20, 30 $40 a click. It can cost you in the neighborhood of four or $500 to get a single opportunity. And then, you know, it may take you three or four opportunities to even close the deal. And that can be quite unsustainable. So coming all the way back, whenever I talk to a business owner, I often say like, what, what are you doing right now to attract leads for your salespeople? If the answer is nothing, then you are literally on the most inefficient CAC to LTV diet you could be on. Mm-hmm. And then I move into it and I say, in marketing, what are you doing? A lot of them are like, oh, I do ads, I do pay-per-click. And I say, great. That is something that's very good for the immediate and short term. But once again, that is the highest CAC that you can go for to actually get those. So when you think about now inbound as a methodology, if you could attract people, then of course that CAC starts to go down mm-hmm. and that LTV starts to go up. And so that's that's kind of now what I start to talk to them about is I say that when sales and marketing are working close together, your sales team is thankful at the leads that they bring because the alternative is the cold, hard world of like trying to scrounge up people to hassle. And it's awful. Well, scrounging and, up people, but they're not people who are necessarily really wanting you. Like you said, you're, you're, right. you're chasing people as opposed to attracting them. And that is that they're, that's a complete world apart. And what I've really stepped in, you know, when my, my first entree with, with HubSpot was where we became committed to developing personas and actually became absolutely our calling card um, to make sure that we were actually writing things of just undeniable value to, you know, that most ideal client so that we were even, you know, closing that funnel even more (laughs) in on it. And we weren't even getting people who were mildly interested. And I got to say, you know, that proposition, when we go in and talk with clients, it is very um, challenging for a client to accept because what I'm basically saying is we don't want everybody And at first they go, oh, yeah, of course, we don't want everybody. But then when you start bringing them through the methodology, they kind of still do want everybody. (laughs) They get very worried that the more we become strategic and the more we start saying no to things, the more we're limiting, you know, our reach. But actually, they don't understand yet the mindset where you're actually expanding your reach because you're going deeper and you're going more meaningfully meaningful with that, you know, with that ideal person. And to that end you know, where you're going with the lifetime value is, you know, really being able to have the most quality client, you know, in your quiver. And and when they're happy, they're staying on forever. You got it. Humans didn't really uh, thrive as a race until they learned how to start farming, agricultural stuff. And so, you know, many companies basically barely exist as the hunters. They go out and hunt. 
what they say as a little small tribe and one cold winter or, you know, if a bison kills one of their hunters, aka if one of your salespeople leaves you, the whole company and the whole tribe is at risk. And so the, the easiest thing I can say is like, you see all around you people thriving and people having this kind of longer term view. You could believe, as I did, and I mean Nicholas, as Nicholas believes, you can believe that you are a unique snowflake and just, you know what, marketing doesn't work for you. Or you could wake up and recognize that you just don't know what you're doing. And that's totally fine. That's a different challenge. If you say marketing doesn't work, that's a much harder one for, I think, many people to swallow who are in the know. But if you say, I don't know what I'm doing, that's a much different challenge. That's a who are you going to hire on your staff? What type of agency or partner are you going to choose? How much sport, you know, stamina do you have to basically wait for it to pay off? That's very different. Yeah. Now, we say to clients all the time, but really a, a solid strategy with inbound marketing, content marketing, lead gen, really is an 18-month slow burn. So would you agree right. with me on that or where yeah. do you stand on it? Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, obviously you can tell from talking to me, I love a lot of metaphors, but like, you know, people finally come to you whenever they have heart disease and they're fat. That's like when they're like, oh my God, I'm literally the epitome of terrible health. And then they're like, is there some sort of Hollywood diet or cabbage soup or something like that I can do? And I'm like, no, no, it's literally 18 months of hitting the gym. It's 18 months of basically eating healthy. And then you will see your life much improved. And people don't want to hear that, especially in the United States. I would say more than, you know, of course we work globally. People don't want to hear that. And and what I think is tough, and I, you know, I'd be curious what you think for still, but what I think is tough is like, if I was a doctor and I literally saw my patient sitting on the bed smoking and eating a Big Mac, and I was like, um, it doesn't look like you're making the healthy decisions I've asked <laughs> you to. There is a point in which I think the doctor probably has to say like, this just probably isn't a good fit. You have to go die quietly by yourself because I can't help you. And that's the kind of like, I feel so strongly now about seeing what I, what I know to be healthy quality, good life versus those who kind of challenge and argue and want to stay in that unhealthy lifestyle. Like that's, I really, I'm a libertarian. I absolutely believe everybody has the right to their own kind of path. But, you know, going back to this, like if you think you know more than some of these people who have already figured this out now, and we're 10 years into the game now with inbound and all that stuff, like we don't even have to like believe that it's a cool idea. There's so much data now that shows this, but if you don't basically put yourself on that kind of healthy path that does take 12 to, to 24 months, um, you know, you'll, you'll just, you'll continue to stay in that kind of unhealthy state. In celebration of the launch of our Flock Stars podcast miniseries, it's time for yet another Badass Women giveaway. For this round, we've pieced together an incredible prize package full of amazing stuff you definitely want. Here's what's included so far. A girl power themed mug from Women in Research, an AYTM leather journal and pen, an AYTM t-shirt, some Little Bird marketing swag items like a tote bag, pop socket, and diner mug, Pocket RBG Wisdom, a book of supreme quotes and inspired musings from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and a Me To You Box care package, including a set of four earth-friendly reusable metal straws with a straw cleaner, a papaya-scented body wash-infused buffer sponge, a cute little box of inspirational message cards by the brand Life Is Beautiful, and a tube of Laritzy Cosmetics High Gloss Lip Gloss. You don't want to miss this giveaway, so go to littlebirdmarketing.com slash badasswomen and enter. This list of items keeps growing by the day, so make sure to keep checking the page for updates. Best of luck.
You talked a little bit about how it has changed so much. And let's just take like blogging, for example. And it used to be that it was like, you know, the mom blogger and, you know, people would sit and deliberate over, you know, um, very far more personal um, approaches to solving people's problems. And so much has changed. But let's talk about that a little bit, too. You know, so we know that we don't write like that anymore. And we write for companies with, you know, keywords in mind, with with ranking and with algorithm in mind. And we really even more more in mind is, like I said, the persona work where we're just like, what do they want to know? What what could we uniquely solve for this person? And just really, you know, how could we come through for our most ideal client? But let's take one more piece about what's changed. So where content marketing is heading it is is really pretty interesting. So, for example, we talk about this being a long game, a slow burn. And then, obviously, there's other things that we can do as an AK. Okay, let's actually put some of the short-term wins on top of that so that while we are building this foundational, building things the right way, we still can actually maintain our sales goals and maintain, um, you know, some, um, some of our sales activity. But what do you think is changing either changing right this moment or is about ready to really change in content marketing. Is there still going to be innovations with, with blogging? What, where do you, what do you think is next? So some things that we're seeing in the, it gets a little bit harder as you look out on like what we call horizon three way out in the future. But I think things that are, that are pretty clear now is um, you had, you could fog a mirror 10 years ago, and if you were doing content marketing, you had a pretty good return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, that that ship has sailed. And so now when I hear people say content marketing doesn't work, it just means that the amount of effort that they had to put in to it uh, in the past has gone up. And that is true. And so effort comes in kind of two ways. It's a volume or it's in quality. And what mm-hmm. you've seen is over the last three or four years, a lot of people have opted for the volume metric. And so you've got it's just proliferation of content hitting you from every which way. And uh, and that's true. And what that means is that the signal to noise ratio has gone down. It's much harder to find the signal. On yeah. the flip side. <laughs> that is totally side. true. And just so you know, I was in Austin at Green Books IIEX and my entire master class was on content marketing strategies to get heard above the noise. This is absolutely. Right. And people are saying, like, here's the things that are falling out of their mouths. They're saying, you know, am I am I too late? Am I too late to get in the game? Can I, you know that? So yeah, continue. This is totally on 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 topic. I don't think you're too late. I think I go back to once again. Uh, there's just nothing. Okay, so it's it's kind of a, a fatalistic view. Are you too late? Okay, let's say you are. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> are you not going to do any marketing? Okay, great. So now you've basically just like why are you even in business? Give up. On the flip side, if you say no, I do want to grow. And basically, you're in a competitive landscape with others. And, you know, one of the things we say at the company is it's never been easier to get started. There's never been a time in all of business where there's more things at your fingertips to help you be successful. But on the flip side, it's also never been harder to scale because competition is so fierce. The, the concept of content marketing isn't flawed, et cetera. It's just that competition is harder. So what you're starting to see now is that this just uh, deluge of content of, of kind of poor quality or light quality content is really a flawed strategy nowadays. So what you see working a lot more are in-depth, very helpful, deeply thought out, constantly revised and iterated upon content pieces. And this took us a while to kind of read the tea leaves 
Uh, we, you know, HubSpot very much focuses on SEO. That's one of the unique differentiators from us and other uh, automation platforms. We very much focus on creating content. But the, the reality of just blog a day, blog a few times a week, et cetera, without any kind of real core cohesive strategy, that's out. And I think that we've talked about it, and I don't know if you guys do this with your customers a lot, but like Google is basically really informing a lot of our decisions here because they've begun to really give a huge amount of preference to, to what we call pillar pages, but they're just really long anchor forms of content. Well, if anybody would like to see an example of one, they can go to our website and look up Crafting the Perfect Persona, and there's our pillar page. So we'll put a link in in the show notes there. Yeah. Yeah, we've totally listened to, you know, to to HubSpot. We've also, you know, followed in, um, you know, experts about Google and how AI is changing that and really how it's ranking, the kind of quality that's uh, helping show expertise. And you're right. It's around these pillar pages, specifically so that you know the the search engine can understand what is this company really an expert on what is what is this and, and you guys at, at HubSpot refer to that as a topic cluster what is the yeah. topic that we could really own in this space since it is so challenging since it is so competitive that's right and imagine if i said to you, and imagine if i said to you this is not even about technology if i just said hey uh, here's how you're going to grow it's going to be super simple when someone needs help you're going to be the most incredible option that they have to get them help on that topic. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then really you've got some people who are trying to give them pithy two or three paragraphs. You've got some people who are writing like compendiums that answer every particular nuance and flavor of that. That's just literally, that's what's happening with the degree of quality. All right. You guys have talked about that. The other thing I think is really fascinating in this whole world is that kind of organic social is, uh, definitely less effective than it used to be on filling the top of the funnel. So now when you become the expert on a topic, uh, you have two ways of kind of filling the funnel. You have the SEO organic game, or you can basically begin to also get that content in front of people via paid media. Now we, we at HubSpot are walking a fine line here. Inbound is about attracting versus interrupting. And one of the ways we've been able to find our way lightly um through the ad world is that we would say that anything that kind of interrupts an existing journey is still kind of no go for us. So if you click on a video on YouTube, because you really want to watch this particular piece of content and there's a pre-roll before that, that feels very much like an interruption type thing, a popover, a, uh, you know, a giant modal that makes you do something like those still kind of interrupt you. But if you're basically in discovery mode and you're scrolling through a feed, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, those things feel quite natural because you're actually hunting for something interesting and you're kind of, you're kind of basically uh, perusing that. So in that model, ads actually become kind of part of the content stream and the most interesting ads are typically really high quality content. So that kind of is a most simplistic way of looking at it, but you can literally fill the funnel with being an expert on a topic and there's an infinite number of topics and subtopics. Now you're just trying to battle for which ones are most relevant to your personas, as you said. And you can also in the short term begin to do advertising to do that. And once again, that's even pieces of content. And so when those two begin to work together, you can then once again, also provide that same content back to the sales team. And this goes back to your question, which is if the sales team is trying to engage versus hassle, 
then when someone does reach out, being able to provide them interesting things to help the person and take care of them, it's just a, it's a dramatically different way of thinking about the overall process. Yeah. And what's interesting is that as you guys have morphed in that mindset, also your products have morphed. So obviously you're the one in that MarTech space. Um, yep. And so you guys have tried to come in and make it a little bit more effortless to maybe remarket to people who really are highly qualified, highly, oh, yeah. you know, uh, highly engaged, highly, highly um interested. Um, so yeah. that that has been interesting to watch you, uh, you know, attach, um, you know, new features uh, onto the product. And, and it is always growing. It's always changing. So with that in mind, let's just let's kind of end on, on thinking about what is coming in MarTech for the future in HubSpot. What's what's an interesting um, and exciting uh, development you care to share? The there's a couple quick things I'll, I'll pull through. So the first um, I'm actually excited about something that's not directly in the marketing hub. Uh, one of the things that HubSpot did recently is we reevaluated kind of our methodology and the, the inbound methodology. Right now, we've turned into this thing called a flywheel. And so really, it's just a, it's a funnel that doesn't basically pop a prospect in the top and a customer out the bottom. It's a circle. And each part of the circle feeds into the other one. And so there's a track, engage, delight. And one of the things I'm really excited about in marketing in particular is the delight phase. So we have Service Hub, which is a new thing we've launched where it's kind of like the delight phase of our funnel. So it's a help desk, it's a knowledge base, but also it's a feedback tool. And what I love about this is that now we're starting to see kind of this concept of advocacy pop up where, you know, you you can take any business and you can ask this basic question like, hey, who loves you the most? of your customers. Many can't even answer that. But uh, if they could, then you would say like, hey, how do you get the people who love you the most to buy more from you? How do you get people who love you the most to tell the world about you, et cetera? And that has always been something like one of the things I like about HubSpot is it's always tried to help small and medium businesses compete with the large companies. And if you go look at any of the advocacy platforms that are out there, they are ridiculously expensive and they're very complex and very hard to set up and you needed huge amounts of scale to hope to pull those off. In contrast, I think now kind of with where we're going, if you're basically using our CRM and a myriad of our free or, or paid tools, you have a chance now of on every transaction, every customer asking them very simply, like, how do you feel about us? And if they feel positive, well, you now have like, it's, it's already in the system, a ready-made group to market to, a ready-made group to uh, mobilize, to do other things. And I think now as basically the, the networks, even organic, as all those things get tighter, the energy that you put into going get net new may go up, whereas the energy that you put into basically activating or really leveraging your current uh, or the effort, I mean, may basically you get a better rate of return on that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really big. The other one I think I'll just tell you that I think is really good is that uh, all the tools are getting cheaper. All the tools are getting easier. Um, and so email is something we brought down to starter and we're looking at also bringing down to free. And so I think that being able to give people tools that they can do just to get the fundamentals together. You know, I joked with you, I said that, you know, a lot of people can't rub two marketing sticks together to get a, a marketing <laughs> fire going. And I love I, that I image. Would, I just really think that, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about in general, just helping people believe that marketing can work, I like bringing that down to the lower tiers of our stuff so that then they're ready when they want to automate and do things at scale. And that 
that's exciting to me because it's very difficult to basically build your your uh, your business without doing marketing nowadays. And I really like bringing that down. So that's, well, that's big on me. Tell me from your perspective from MarTech and, um, you know, w- w- what are the smallest companies you see doing well on HubSpot? And what are the largest companies? What is that scale? So the... We stretched it a bit in the past. I think we had some five-person companies uh, that were paying for pro. I don't think that's really appropriate. Um, I think that that we kind of look at our buying tiers as like a level of sophistication. So make no mistake, there are startups who have four or five people that probably do need our pro enterprise because they're pretty pretty good. But in general, we kind of see it as like our pro version is for companies with 25 employees or higher. Um, and, and our kind of cap, the largest companies that we have have around 2,000 employees. Anything above that, you really should be moving into some of the more enterprise type solutions that are out there. Uh, and then for our free and starter stuff, it's really, it's really fascinating. We, we at first thought that these might be for some of our, we call them owner ollies, you know, like people like me whenever I was trying to get my business going, et cetera. We thought it would be for right. them. Uh-huh. Uh, and, they, and there are a lot, by the way. And so I would say even for you when you're out working with customers, we think that having this free CRM is really transformative and everybody should be starting off with, you know, some sort of platform and free tools. But we're actually seeing that probably 50% of our, of our free and starter customers are pretty good sized businesses with 25 or more employees. And so we think that a lot of them are either in evaluation mode or that essentially some of the free tools that we have are good enough for them to use right now as a point solution while they're doing that. So. Well, you did mention it does take time. You know, it takes, uh, you know, getting buy-in from the whole group. It takes also a mindset shift about how to do marketing. Um, And then it does also take learning tools. You know, there's a a tech side to it that can be very difficult for some people. And, you know, even in a, you know, a company that's, you know, well beyond five or ten people, they also struggle to find someone who really can own the tech piece. And, and, and And it is interesting in that you know, size, is that tech piece, uh, you know, is that person the right person then to be writing the content? Probably not. So there's a little bit of like division of labor that I think makes a little bit harder for, you know, companies. Yeah, the, the, the tool may be great on the HubSpot side, but they may not have an internal structure that really is going to be able to make use of it or understand it in a proper way. I see that a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think the platform wars are underway. I think a lot of the People listening to this and, and out in the world are are uh, are maybe unaware of that, but all these platforms are tugging on you right now. And you could go use Zapier and link everything up if you want to, but every new interface you learn takes time and energy. Every new password you have to maintain. Every time you have to export and get to a new spreadsheet to have like any chance of understanding the effectiveness or the roll up is hard. And, uh, and so I think that what, what I'm excited about too with us is like, I don't think anybody can be an all in one anymore. I think some platforms will have more dominant anchors than others. And that's kind of where we want to be with HubSpot. We want to knock, you know, work on the really big anchors. But I think we're kind of really excited about this concept of an all on one and a handful of vendors out there are looking at that as well, which is like, where do you have a just, you know, what's, what's your best chance to give a business to plug in all of their different vendors, but still be able to learn one interface, have one kind of master system to rule them all. I think that's probably the next big wave that you're going to see over the next five years is that almost every business from getting started on day one, all the way up to the large platforms are all moving to these kind of all on one type concepts. Yeah. 
Um, And I'm excited about that. Well, I will give you guys a plug on this. I think you guys have an amazing blog. I think you have an amazing uh, library of resources. Um, You know, when I first was looking at at HubSpot and was learning inbound, you also had podcasts that just really recapped, uh, you know, training modules and things like that. And, And it was very accessible and people can get certified without even having the product. And I think that kind of the democratization of understanding inbound is a super important piece to really building, you know, your potential, you know, client base up. So I, I'll give you a shout out for that because actually the, I, I know you have several blogs, um, but I think the marketing blog for anybody who's kind of in that position that we just discussed, like, oh, I just don't know, maybe we're in an evaluation stage. Those are very, very meaty blogs and they really do help um, go through. Obviously, as a at Little Bird Marketing, our, our blogs, we try and be incredibly helpful, incredibly real world about what are we talking about. Um, and then I thought what would be great, um, Nicholas, after after the show, why don't you have someone on your team send me maybe one, two or three like fantastic links to just like a couple of pieces that you think really, you know, really speak to some of the things we've talked about and people can get a little bit of a taste uh, directly from the HubSpot blog. How about that? That sounds great. Okay. Well, let's wrap up with our rapid fire and uh, kind of our fun, a little bit more personal, get to know Nicholas Holland and uh, what he's thinking. But why don't you start off with giving us a, a, a short, uh, a short answer back about uh, best and worst piece of advice you ever got in your career? Take the best advice that I've ever gotten is that it's usually not one thing that makes or breaks you. It's the add the addition and subtraction of all the little things you do day in and day out. So that really impacts me a lot that, you know, I'm not looking for any major home runs each day. It's just that, did I make a right decision? Did I make a good decision? I make a good decision. Oh, a couple of bad decisions. Did I make a good decision? You just want to make more than good and you start to see that progress. That's been really impactful. And then I... (laughs) When you asked this question, I chuckled before because like lately there's been a, a a bunch of joking amongst my colleagues and even my wife about how some of the business advice lately sounds really good, but it basically just means nothing. And so like uh, we, we actually make this joke to each other, which is like, be your best self. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually don't even know what that means, but uh, <laughs> and, it, and it sounds good and I want to be my best self, but it leaves me feeling lost and confused. That's probably my worst uh, advice. Well, I will say I'll add one more show note. I just recorded a, a, a huge podcast with one of my friends, Andy Crestadina, out of Orbit Media Studios, and he and I took a part a piece of content that was literally the worst piece of advice. And it was like in five tips and every single one of them was like completely horrendous. Um, And, you know, so it it, just because it's written doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) So I, that's your best self. Just be your best self. We're going to keep it in that. I love it. Okay. Let's do a little quick rapid fire. Are you a big podcast uh, listener? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. What are you, some of your favorites? Introduce us to something great. Uh, so I listen to the Ariel Hawani UFC podcast. I'm a big lover of fighting. And if you, uh, you know, you, we didn't talk about podcasting, but one of the things he did is he's a 10 year overnight success with some of the deepest analysis in MMA that's out there. And then I also love Freakonomics uh, radio. I know that lots of people love that, but I think what's fascinating is how often we justify the world through our own little lens versus like actual kind of data and things like that. And so those two really kill it for me. Oh, I bet you, you experience a lot of that. You can apply a lot of Freakonomics mindset to things you hear in HubSpot all day long. All all day long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what about, do you have a favorite app, kind of a go-to on your phone? 
I do. This one may be pretty uh, anticlimactic, but I just, I gave myself over to my Google overlords many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people said, oh my God, you know, they spy on you. And I was like, dude, spy on me. I have three kids. Like, I'm so boring. <laughs> uh, but I love Google Keep. And I tell you why I love it. When it first came out, I was like, oh, this thing is dumb. Like, I still love Evernote. And somehow, this little app has slowly chewed and eaten its way into my life. And so I use Google <laughs> Keep now. I literally park and I put my parking spot in Google Keep. I have birthday party stuff I put in there. My my uh, I get something from my CEO at HubSpot, I put it in there. It's like Google Keep just now is like this awesome little tool. And especially when they integrated it into Gmail, it's just right there. It's, I love it. <laughs> what about a book? Are you a big reader? You, you listen to a lot of podcasts, so... I do, I do, but I'm going to pick a, a fiction book, but I really like uh, Stephen King and a book that I've read three times now, Stephen King's The Stand, and uh, oh. I think I like it because uh, pr- pretty dark. I get it, I get it, but I would say I like it because uh, essentially it's the, it's kind of a breakdown of like what happens in society when, when things go really terrible, and I don't know why I'm just a little bit fascinated by that. <laughs> well, I love it. And that's great writing. So for inbound and content marketers, I think a really fantastic quality writing is a must, right? Okay, let's yes. end with your favorite blog. Obviously, I gave a great shout out to uh, the HubSpot blog. But is there anyone else that you follow in the industry that you think is worth a highlight? Yeah, you know, uh, oh, in the industry. Uh, yeah, you know, copy blogger is really good. Yep. Um, I think that's really good. I think that when I think about writing really interesting content, uh, that I would probably model my myself after. I like uh, I like the 538 blog, and there's really nothing like it that's out there. And what I love about it is that even though some of the topics are really different, it kind of all speaks and really scratches that uh, that itch that I think a lot of people have, which is like the stories that data tells. Yeah. And so when we talked, when I thought about what you were going to ask, like, you know, there's a ton. You could just go look at the top blogs for marketing, the top blogs for that. But if you were to go look at, like, how do you find your people? And that's really what this is all about. Where's mm-hmm. your tribe? Where's your people? Uh, I think 538 is just so fascinating how there's nothing like it out there. And it's just, it's also really damn good. Oh, very cool. Well, I appreciate all your time and, and the expertise you have on MarTech. Certainly a uh, link with Nicholas Holland out on LinkedIn. You can read a little bit more about him, but he does write his own very great articles out on LinkedIn. So be sure to check that out. Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on Ponderings from the Perch. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Priscilla. I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up this episode. All the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing wish you a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.